the death of the action library. Self-defense, self-awareness, self-development. This is the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of themartialist.net and philelmore.com. I am the aforementioned Phil Elmore, your host. Let's see how many times I can say my name in the opening. I got an email that inspired today's podcast. The email is from a longtime listener uh, to uh, a longtime like listener and reader of my various ventures over the years. Known the guy for a long time. And uh, he writes, uh, as you know, I've always looked forward to your writing and more recently the podcasts, but I have to let you know how much I've been enjoying the recent ones around your book collection and shelving, the internet marketing cast, and especially the story regarding Street Sword. Uh, a very interesting look into that space as a business. I'm hoping you do more content around these sorts of topics. That's why I'm doing this podcast now. And here's why. It occurred to me that you are in a very special position, having been engaged in and creating content in several streams that ran sort of on parallel tracks and often crossed over in terms of target groups. Martial arts, survivalism, men's adventure books, and uh, with your significant thoughtful pieces around the hardware that sustained all of those streams as they eddied and flowed into the internet by the mid to late 1990s. Indulge me for a moment, too. Since about 2000, we've lost the Mac Bolin series, Soldier of Fortune, at least as a print magazine, almost all of the alternative book publishers like Lupanics and, of course, Paladin Press and Delta Press, um, and, of course, any number of knife and hardware magazines, even as we've gained pretty good replacements like Recoil and Off Grid. There's, of course, dozens of new military thriller-type series that have good hardware placement in them, and a few good publishers like Trine Day for orthogonal political books, but I feel like the elements that drove the idiosyncratic magazines and books of the times is almost gone. Survivalism has become prepping, not a bad thing, but different in tone and energy, and the marketplace of ideas to my tastes has diminished even as the internet has opened up so much more content in so many spaces. It's hard to say we've really lost any ground. I do see a trend that many of the alternative publishers and con conspiracy guys are tilting hard left, but that's another topic entirely. You're in a much better position to have an informed opinion on these sorts of things than I am, but I feel like we're also in a space where we have lost or are losing many of the pioneers in these areas, oftentimes without, to my thinking, enough interviews and retrospective pieces on their works to build interest for the next generation of kids coming up. And that's unfortunately very true. There are a lot of people who were foundational personalities in the sort of martial arts and self-defense action library uh, settings that are gone now. Um, over the years, so many of them have passed away, some of them quite prematurely, like uh, Larry Wick, for example, died very young of cancer. Uh, Larry Wick of split-second survival, and he was awesome. I mean, he was also insane in a good way. Larry filmed an entire DVD of himself disarming loaded firearms, uh, which is a good way to die. It's a good way to get killed. There's a few other people who've gone by the wayside along the way. Um, some people who've left the industry. Uh, I'm thinking there in terms of people like Dan Weber. Um, but there's lots of people who've just passed away. And there are so many people who are getting old. So, so many of the people who were uh, on the forefront of the VHS and book industry that got me into the self-defense industry proper, um, they are senior citizens now and they're not getting any younger. 
Um, I myself have gone from being a young fellow with hair to an old fellow without hair in the time that I've been sort of involved in the periphery and in the midst of this industry. And it's a sobering thought to think that we're losing uh, a kind of like, like the flavor of what the self-defense industry was in the 90s. Uh, and it's not necessarily a bad thing because everything changes. And in some ways, the industry is better off now because thanks to the internet, you can't just manufacture an identity out of whole cloth and expect it to stick. So l let me back up a little bit. When I first got into martial arts and self-defense, I started out in high school reading books on martial arts like karate books in my, my library. Uh, because I didn't have access to the kind of training that I wanted, I suppose I could have gone to my parents and said, Mother, Father, I wish to learn karate. Um, somehow that never came up. I, I assume we had schools in the area, but I think part of it was I'd never been an athletic kid, so maybe in my mind it wasn't even really an option. So what I thought I was accomplishing by looking at books to get self-defense tips, I'm not really sure. Then... Uh, you know, I went off to college. I did karate in college. I devoured all of the action karate movie VHS tapes in my local video store over the summers when I was home from college. And that was sort of my identity. Um, you know, B action movie karate guy. That was, that was who I was starting to see myself as in, uh, in college. I got out of college and one of the things I had discovered and would discover to more detail was that there was a division in the publishing industry. So in the 1990s, the, uh, when was it? Uh, forgive me. I, nobody was talking to you, phone. Stop that. Um, let's see. Oklahoma City bombing. When did that happen? 1995. So it was after I got out of college, but uh, for some reason I was thinking maybe it happened while I was in. Um, in, in the Oklahoma City bombing, we saw article after article that claimed a book called The Turner Diaries was responsible for radicalizing Timothy McVeigh and causing him to want to murder people. Well, I got curious about that. I'm like, how does a book make an ordinary person a murderer? What I found out when I went to the bookstore was they said, well, we don't do business with that publisher. So I had to go looking, and I went and found two books by that author, who, as it turns out, is not really an author. He's a crazy person who hates minorities. Uh, he's just a like a genuine neo-Nazi. There are not many neo-Nazis in the country. The supply of neo-Nazis is far outweighed by the demand for neo-Nazis in popular culture. But uh, he was one. And he had written another book about a man whose hobby was murdering interracial couples. That's how evil this person was in his soul. Um, and in, in the way I found that book and the other book that this guy had written was it was in a special section of Delta Press. Delta Press and Paladin Press were at that time primarily mail order catalogs. The catalog would come in the mail, you would place your order, uh, and then you would get catalogs in your mail for the rest of your life. You know, like the Sportsman's Guide and other mail order catalog companies back in the day. Uh, internet ordering was possible in some cases even then. But I'm a little fuzzy on when that became common. And I know that originally, a lot of us were really reluctant to start plunking our credit cards into the internet like that. That's probably wise, too, because safeguards on those sorts of things were not what they were. Somehow, reading our credit card numbers into the phone 
to some stranger was okay. But uh, when I ordered uh, the Turner Diaries, because I wanted to know what this was all about, and I had no idea just what a, a vicious, racist, evil book this was, there was another book listed in the same section. And because I was placing a mail order, I bought that book too. Like, you know, I'm not just going to buy uh, two books, you know, for a total of 10 or 12 bucks or whatever it was. The third book was really disturbing. The third book was a book called Serpent's Walk, another piece of neo-Nazi literature, which I did not know I was buying at the time. Uh, probably would have given me pause. I'm probably on some list somewhere for having bought these. Um, I read it, and it was just as hateful, but it was written competently. It had a dynamic character arc for the protagonist. It was a complex narrative. You don't associate those types of crude... Uh, uh, mindsets, those that, that crude belief system, with somebody capable of producing a complex narrative. It was a decently written book. So that to me was disturbing. This guy is probably, or was probably, he's probably dead now. The, the, whoever wrote that book was probably one of the people that positions himself as a leader in movements like that. Uh, because the smart ones take advantage of all the dumb ones. Because you have to be pretty dumb to, to glom onto that ideology. So all right, I had educated myself, and that was disturbing, and I put those books away and uh, forgot about them because I learned what I needed to know. It was not satisfying. Like, this is just dumb. These are just stupid, hateful, racist people. This is not educating, educational at all, except that it also told me there are some people out there in that movement who are intelligent, and they must be manipulating the others. So that's what I learned from that experience. But... Uh, the mail order business was the only way to obtain not just fringe books like that, but books that had the information I wanted, which was knife fighting and uh, more reality-based self-defense. You could get in-person instruction in martial arts. There were even books on martial arts in the bookstores. Some of them were good, some of them were not. What you couldn't get was reality-based self-defense books and uh, anything involving knife fighting and practical weapon self-defense. So yes, it was possible to buy books on karate weapons. One of my very first books on martial arts weapons was <coughs> Dr. Ted Gambardella's book on karate weapons. It was like a large format, eight and a half by 11 style book, maybe even bigger, I forget now. I don't think I still have that one. Uh, and I taught myself how to use nunchucks out of that book. Such an endeavor does not come without costs. I'm not going to say that I smacked myself in the groin a few times with the foam nunchucks that I was using as practice. Graduating to the real thing was a little disturbing. What, what you learn, you finally get the hang of it, you teach it to yourself, and then years later, I checked with one of my teachers. Um, in our system, nunchucks were a thing, although they were referred to by a different name other than their Japanese name, because this was an Indonesian system primarily. And I checked with my teacher. I'm like, am I doing this right? And he's like, yeah, here's one or two minor adjustments. But for the most part, you've, you've got it. So it is possible at cost to teach yourself how to wield certain weapons. Although there are finer points that you may not know because you don't know what you don't know. So I started buying mail order, books on knife fighting, books on reality-based self-defense, books on all of these action library topics uh, that interested me that could not be had through quote-unquote normal publishers. Ironically enough, some of the first martial arts books that I bought were books like uh, uh, Ashita Kim's ninja books that I got 
from a mainstream bookstore like Barnes and Noble or something because it was in the 90s that I discovered the joys of going to a cafe at a bookstore buying more books than I would ever read and drinking coffee so uh, some of the first books I bought were these books on ninjutsu by Ashita Kim Radford Davis who even today lives in Florida in the house that once belonged to his parents um, to give you a quick synopsis of Radford's biography and I'm making a point here Radford's family moved to Florida in the 80s and that's where his ninja career started he dubbed himself Ashita Kim he became moderately famous at a time when all there was was either uh, like you either got your foot in the door with like a quote-unquote real publisher one of the smaller places or you were relegated to mail-order companies like Loom Panics. Well, th there was an 80s ninja boom. Ninjas were suddenly popular, and Ashita Kim got in on that. And his stuff was popular very briefly. He was on television. He was, you know, doing talk show host appearances. But here's the thing. Back in the mail-order days, there was no way to check your references. There was no way to disprove anything about you. There was no means whereby the average person could look into the claims of someone and go, I don't think that's true. So Radford got famous at a time when if, if he had tried to do what he did decades later, it would not have worked. And this is true of many personalities from that era. And this is the point that I'm making in my long-winded and circuitous way that the, the action library as we know it is what helped establish so many of the foundational personalities from that era, both good and bad. For example, uh, Sammy Franco. He, I, I only became aware of Sammy Franco through books in Paladin Press. If you'd only ever seen Sammy Franco's books, you had this picture of someone in your head who seemed like a credible, reality-based, self-defense guy. It wasn't until I saw a video of Sammy Franco that I realized, I'm like, oh. And if you've seen video of Sammy Franco, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you might say, well, Phil, why does it sound like you're being vaguely negative about Sammy Franco? I'll tell you why. He was rude to me. Um, Sammy Franco once asked me to send him a couple of my books, so I sent him a copy of Flashlight Fighting and a copy of Street Sword, which were both, I believe, in print and in Paladin Press at the time. Uh, and he looked at them, and then he trashed them on his forum. And I was like okay, that's just rude. Like, if you didn't like them, that's fine. But from my perspective, if somebody sends me something free to review, if I look at it and I don't like it, then I don't say anything. I'm like, okay, it would be rude to stab this guy in the back. Unless he specifically told me, please public, publicly review this book, good or bad. If someone's just like, hey, I'd like to see your stuff and I'd like it for free, there's a certain amount of consideration that comes with that. And if somebody sends me something for free when I ask for it and they, and I, you know, I haven't... Uh, there's no stipulation that a review be done and I, and I have had people say that you know I'm sending you this stuff please review it good or bad I want to hear it but if it's just hey send me your stuff and I, I want to read it for free and then they stab you in the back and trash it that's pretty rude so I've had kind of a chip on my shoulder where he's concerned ever since and of course there's the fact that in print Sammy Franco comes across as this tough reality-based self-defense guy and then you see him on video and you're like Oh, okay. And then he announced uh, that he wasn't, I may, I'm doing this from memory, so please forgive me if I'm wrong, but if I remember correctly, then he announced that he was only going to teach men. No, he wasn't, no, he was no longer going to teach women. 
and all I could see was the movie Airplane. Do you like movies about gladiators, Bobby? So, you take that with however many grains of salt you wish. So today, because of the internet, because of the way the model has changed, you can't build your career through the mail order book and, and tape houses anymore. There was a time when you would put out a VHS tape, you would put out some Paladin press books, you would establish yourself, then you would move on to sell yourself, sell your stuff yourself. Because the dirty little secret was publishing through like a Paladin press, you made very little money in royalties. If a copy of Street Sword sold for 10 bucks, I made a dollar. So Flashlight Fighting always did better than Street Sword because they didn't market Street Sword well, including the title. I've told that story in a previous podcast. Uh, I made more money behind the scenes than I ever did uh, at, you know, making royalties as an author. And that was, that was the reality for most authors, except for the biggest ones. And even then, people who got really big through the mail order houses back in the 90s, they made money off of seminars and doing appearances and doing their own thing. You know, so you, you would get your, your reputation established you would become somebody thanks to these mail order houses. And then what you did with your career from that point forward, you were on your own. And a whole lot of guys came up that way. Some of them, like the Ishida Kims of the world, were arguably frauds who were making stuff up as they went along. There was no internet to check them. And those people have suffered in the internet age. You know, they went from being on top of the world to being pitied and reviled and humiliated. Because when people started checking and it became possible to start looking into these things, their claims didn't hold up. That's just the reality of it. So, yeah, it was it was interesting to watch the industry change in that way, in that way that both made and then broke personalities of that era. But the fact is, now, these people are getting old. I was a young man when I started reading uh, books by and watching videos by these personalities who were older than me at the time. So now they are that much older. I don't know how much longer a lot of them are going to be around. You know, there are some elder statesmen of the uh, self-defense industry who, thank goodness, are still in good health. But, you know, some of them had some challenges along the way. Um, I'm not mentioning them by name only because I don't want to seem ghoulish. Like, hey, I really like your work. How much longer are you going to live? So... <laughs> You know, I just, it's its sobering to think time catches us all. Uh, and here's, I'm going to continue reading this email that I got because I wanted to go off on that tangent. Uh, my friend continues, um, for example, I believe Ragnar Benson and Robert Brown are alive, but I see just now that Kurt Saxon died in 2021. And of course, Jerry Ahern and Don Pendleton are long gone. Uh, Jerry Ahern wrote for a number of gun magazines. He was one of the best fiction authors out there. I have had the pleasure, the distinct honor of working with his wife and with Jerry when he was still alive. Uh, I, I produced a book called America Undead with Sharon Ahern um, that was the beginning of a series uh, that I'm struggling to continue with now, um, you know, an action series about uh, vampires, of all things. Um, and there's a number of other uh, Ahern uh, estate books that are out there now currently being produced. They're really good. Um, Sharon Ahern is a wonderful person and losing Jerry was a, was a big deal. Don Pendleton's been gone for a long time. Don Pendleton originated the Mac Boland series, the, the executioner. And of course I've written two dozen books in that series. Um, I believe Don Pendleton has been deceased the entire time I was involved in that series. He, he sold the rights to that series, which was one of the first pulp action series out there. 
one of the best ones. Uh, the only better pulp action series I can think of is Donald Hamilton's Matt Helm series, which is among my favorite book series today, especially because all of the Matt Helm books are written from the first person, which is like tying one hand behind your back when you're an author, because you're only able to see everything that the protagonist sees. You cannot break away to do scenes with villains. You can't, you can only ever see anything that your protagonist overhears or sees. So that's writing a novel on maximum difficulty, and his books were brilliant. They were so good. I'm actually rereading that series right now on Kindle. You can buy, that's the nice thing. A lot of these series are long out of print, and unless you want to go searching for 20, 30, 40 books in used bookstores, or in the case of the Executioner series, hundreds and hundreds of books, um, a lot of these series can be had on Kindle. I don't know what the status of the Executioner books is because the the Linda Pendleton, Don Pendleton's widow, passed away, and now the I don't know what the rights are. The estate is kind of in disarray, but well, I say disarray. I don't know that. Nobody out here, outside of the estate of you know, whatever Linda Pendleton left, nobody really knows. That doesn't mean anything's wrong with it. We just don't know. So if somebody's working on those book rights and bringing that series back into print, I, I don't know about it. But And it's a shame, too. Um, let's see, where was I on here? So we lost uh, Don Pendleton. I also believe Duncan Long, a mainstay of the field, and Duncan Long used to write all kinds of books for the Action Library, um, uh is long gone too and a few of the other series writers are no longer producing anything in the men's genre field and i well remember that borders in particular had a nice full shelf of bolinesque deathlands destroyer type books to peruse on a regular basis but no longer and that's true there was a time when men's adventure paperbacks could be had in any grocery store i could walk into any grocery store here in new york and find mac bolin books on the shelf and a few of like James Axler's Deathlands series and stuff. And, and my friend here is making no distinction between the nonfiction action library and the fiction that interests the same people. You know, they share an audience. Uh, and that was very much true for me as well. At a recent gun show, I saw what looked to be newer printings of the old poor man's James Bond books, some in hardcover sealed so I couldn't check the copyright page, but at the same time at the largest gun show in Pennsylvania, I saw only one stand selling older military books other than two who had the above-mentioned formularies. Uh, formularies? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. And, and that's true that the uh, poor man's James Bond series in particular went from being thick books at Paladin to being considerably slimmed down because when Paladin lost its Hitman case, they got real worried about being sued. If you're not aware of what happened, at some point, Paladin put out a book called Hitman about how to be an independent contractor, how to murder people for money. The book was always absurd. It was made up. Um, the legend goes that it was made up by a housewife based on stuff she'd seen on television. You know, so it was ghostwritten. It was, you know, the, the pen name on it was Rex Feral, you know, which among the pantheon of pen names is pretty darn good. But uh, Hitman was never a good book. And a guy tried to use it as sort of a guide to murdering someone for money. He got caught because it's not a good book. And then the family sued Paladin for putting out this book. Now, the, the implications for the First Amendment are quite dire. Unfortunately, Paladin's insurance company sold, uh, settled out of court. Um, so we never got a chance to have the Supreme Court look at this issue. I mean, if it's possible to hold people responsible for something that other people wrote and that still other people misacted on, 
that's a really bad precedent for the First Amendment. That shuts down publishing in the United States, essentially. Um, so that we never got that. We never got the day in court for that. After losing that case by settling out of court, Paladin started removing material in its books that could be construed as something that could get them sued. So anything on improvised explosives, they used to offer lots of books like that. Um, anything on uh, killing techniques and a lot of the stuff in the poor man's James Bond and elsewhere um, that was fell into that sort of sketchy territory just got removed. They just didn't sell it anymore. I bought a lot of those books back in the day when you could still get them because I even then I was interested in having material for writing novels. Um, a lot of my web searches probably got me put on lists. When I was writing the Mac Bolin books, one of the things I would do would be to pick a major tourist attraction wherever my book was set and then figure out how to attack that major tourist attraction so our hero, Mac Bolin, could stop the people who were attacking that major tourist attraction. And then, because those books all kind of blend together, I would forget what I wrote. So people would read the books and go, wow, I can't believe you did X, Y, Z. You know, like this scene on, on, you know, these people get mowed down on a beach and then the terrorists get killed and Mac Bolin raises the American flag over the ashes. And somebody recounted this to me and I'm like, I wrote that? And I did, I just had no memory of doing it. Um, writing those books, there was usually an overnighter involved in the process. Um... Every time I finished one, I felt like I needed to just go away and sleep for three days. I miss writing them, but I don't miss writing them because writing them was always a lot of hard work. Um, and so it was very gratifying to see my work in print that way, to be able to walk into a bookstore and see stuff that I had written on the shelves. A lot of writers never get that far. And I was very grateful for that. But at the same time, it was a lot of work. Uh, let's see. At a recent gun show... When I first started going to these shows in the early to mid-1990s, I'd see at least three big book and media displays, plus others, who sold the usual gun-specific and army manuals, and at least two or three sellers of, at the time, CDs with conspiracy and butchery alternative work. He's absolutely right. Back when I used to go to gun, store, uh, gun stores, gun shows on a regular basis, and I don't now because I don't have the money for it and New York hates gun owners, but when I used to go, there would always be several booths that had just stacks and stacks of books. Used books and new books and, you know, the action library stuff that you could pick up. It was all right there. Along with conspiracy books, like a book that explains that America has been in a state of emergency since President so-and-so enacted it and has never stopped being in an emergency. And some of these books, like, are the conspiracy theories that some sovereign citizens have based their ideas on stuff like that running the gamut from things like that all the way up to the guerrilla manuals and improvised explosives and the kinds of things that gun people tend to buy put in their libraries to feel better about a world where maybe their guns get banned and that they never actually do anything about because this demographic has a tendency to stock up on supplies and information but never actually to really do anything and the stocking up is optional so it's just a it's just a reality of the market uh, hell, a Birch group used to display every year at a major book festival in uh, my state, showing off a selection of Loom Panics, Delta-type books, and prior to 9-11, I remember at least two places in Manhattan where I could find not just the usual oddball martial arts books, but uh, the O'Hara Press works, but also a good selection of Loom Panics-type stuff. Nowadays, I don't even see Unintended Consequences, which is a very famous book about gun rights. Uh, for sale at gun shows. I believe John Ross, the author, also passed away recently. I believe I've heard that as well. Uh, 
I used to count on seeing at least two vendors carrying the creature from Jekyll Island. Not anymore. I'm not expecting to see Turner Diaries, but even the Serpent's Walk type things are no longer to be found. Now, when it comes to Turner Diaries or Serpent's Walk, that's not, in my opinion, that's not a bad thing because those are just evil, evil books. And I'm pleased to not see people trafficking in those ideas. But it's not that they're not trafficking in, in those ideas. The, the people who traffic in those ideas have taken their communication to the internet. Um, they're not, they, they don't need to disseminate what they do in paper book form anymore. You know, because back in the day, Vanity Press, to get a book like that published, for the author of the Turner Diaries to get his book published or his other book on murdering people he didn't approve of racially, what you do is you'd go to what they called a vanity press and they would produce the books, print the books, and you would pay up front to get a box of a few hundred books that you carried around in the trunk of your car or put in your garage and you'd sell them that way. The technology of self-publishing has gotten so much better that now, as long as your ideas aren't so politically correct that Amazon will tell you you can't use them, you can publish anything you want to Amazon. So where does that leave the neo-Nazis of the world? They have to go old tech because nobody, no platform is going to let them put their stuff out. But what they do is they just put it out electronically and disseminate it on the internet. You know, PDF files, text files. Um, I have found archive.org, which is an archive of out-of-print books, has a lot of these old action library titles. I found Put Them Down, Take Them Out, Knife Fighting Techniques from Folsom Prison on the archive site. I found uh, Prison's Bloody Iron by Jenkson Brown on that uh, on that website. I think it was Jenkson Brown, and it's either both of them or one of them. But there's a lot more, too. So if you go on Scribd, uh, S-C-R-I-B-D.com, they have a bunch of stuff there, but you have to sign up and there's a bunch of things you got either have to pay for it or upload stuff. They make you jump through a bunch of hoops. Archive just has stuff that you can download and it's stuff that's out of print. Um, I haven't bothered to check and see if like Street Sword and Flashlight Fighting are on there. I hope they're not because I still sell PDFs of those books through a, a website online, but it doesn't really matter. I should have such problems. Um, so modern technology, even though it more or less has killed the action library and these mail order catalog companies, there are ways to find that older material. My friend is also talking, though, about the fact that the people inclined to produce this stuff aren't as inclined anymore. And in the, in the podcast where I talked about how the model has changed for the self-defense industry, there are substitutes. Yes, the old school stuff from the 90s is no longer available and you've got to hunt it down either in used book form or find it on archive or, or whatever. But there are glimmers of hope too because today's self-defense personalities, today's reality-based self-defense personalities, all the people coming up now, they're leveraging modern technology to spread their ideas in a way that looks alien to people like me who came up with this mail order model. So like the Medusa guys put out their Medusa manual online. It's spread entirely by word of mouth with no advertising behind it. It's being spread among the tactical community on sites like Instagram. That's a wonderful thing. That's how things are being spread now. Piper, Piper knife fighting. Piper was never in a, a mail order catalog back in the day. Piper exists because it's been disseminated online and materials relative to Piper have been spread around online. Uh, Scott Babb of Libre Fighting. Uh, his stuff is, is spread because Scott has embraced the streaming content model where if you want stuff from Scott, you go to his website, you go to his YouTube channel, you go to his Instagram channel, and, and that's how you get in 
to what he does. And there's so many people like that. Those are just examples off the top of my head. So even as the model has changed, and even as we have indeed lost some stuff, the action library is essentially dead, there are alternatives and modern ways to get into self-defense and reality-based self-defense, practical self-defense ideas that are not, let's say, traditional martial arts. And there's more accessibility to those traditional martial arts than ever before. So in some ways, it was a lot harder to gather this information back in the mail order days, back in the 90s. It's much easier not only to mine what was done before, but also to explore the new stuff coming up. It's just, it, it, it requires us to embrace modern technology. It requires us to invest a lot of time in sites like Instagram and, and other social media because it's not laid out for you. There's no one place to go get it. So being involved in the like tactical and EDC community on Instagram it's not like there's a place I can go, click a box, and I'm there. You have to start following people and then get see mentions of other people, follow those people, consume their content, uh, maybe go to their website, see the stuff that they sell. A lot of these people are boutique sellers who produce stuff, um, you know, knives or self-defense tools, some of it's instruction. You, you just kind of have to spend time, put time in, in that community and become part of it and participate in it for you to start gleaning knowledge from it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I can do that now. To, to, I've learned things on Instagram that I would not have known about otherwise. And that's a different process than buying books. You know, back in the day, in the, in the mail order days, you buy all the books on knife fighting that they have, you read them all, you compare all the notes, you see what, what you think matches up and what, what's similar, what's different. Um, then you have to somehow find a way to weed out the people who are just making stuff up, you know, just like buying martial arts books by Radford Davis, Ashita Kim back in the day. Um, and eventually, you know, when you've read enough books, books and you've done enough research, then as the model transitioned and all these people started to pop up online and it was possible to interact with these personalities, to become Facebook friends with them, to have online arguments with them. That's when you really start learning. A little bit of that is don't meet your heroes, but some of it is, by the way, if you thought Ashita Kim's books were dodgy, try talking to him online once, and you'll immediately realize you're talking to an imbecile. Um, so it, it just on and on and on. Um, let me see. There's more of this email that I haven't gotten into. Uh, let's see. The martial arts supply places that still exist aren't typically carrying much in terms of print or even DVDs. That vertical has become like Army-Navy stores, a slowly dying breed that I'll still check out here and there and don't expect much, but there's that's a slowly fading space too, I fear. He's not wrong about that. Martial arts supply stores and, and brick-and-mortar stores in general are dying. So it's no longer possible to go to a martial arts store in person and browse the bookshelves and browse the training weapons. Um, you just can't. You have to do this stuff, mail order. Listen to me, mail order. You have to do this stuff online. But the good news is, the other side of that coin is there's so much online when you start exploring it. There's so much available. So, you know, th there are ways to supplement what you no longer have. The, the, you just have to make the transition to modern technology. I'm not saying things haven't been lost. In some ways, it is sad to see the character of the 90s go that way. But we've seen these transitions before. Um, the, the 70s kung fu boom, when people would do dojo storming and stuff like that, 
that's over with has been over with for a long time you know the the 70s kung fu movie craze it was a neat time and it's sad that it's gone but it is what replaced it arguably has things to recommend it things that make it more interesting and some things that make it less interesting you know the the 70s kung fu movie boom gave way to the 80s ninja craze and that was fun even though a lot of it wasn't based on anything true so there's good and there's bad in the death of the action library uh let's see i probably will have my scars videos and some material from panther in vhs format squirreled away too but even at the blade show i am not seeing as many sword or replica makers as there used to be along these lines i know mma has rewritten what's what in the martial arts equipment and training video spaces but it's a shame we don't see the sort of concerted effort to preserve and honor some of the history that's common in the science fiction and comic book communities hell even media cowboys have their social groups and yearly awards plus a half shelf at barnes and noble that's true these are these are among the things that we're losing um so if there's stuff from that era that you want to preserve you, you do need to preserve it now um i know 9 11 and prior to that uh the okay the oklahoma city bombing changed a lot of the retail landscape we talked about this and the internet and amazon did more seismic realignments too but i guess my point here is you have a probably unique background having been an active participant and creator in so many many of these spaces and i hope when it's convenient you can look back now and then on some of the foundational stuff and how it's evolved things change even for old codgers like me but some of those things are worth remembering i hope so yeah, it was a really nice email. It was great to see his feedback, and, and we share a lot of the same opinions on how the action library has changed. Um, it's good and it's bad. There's so much that I enjoy today in the martial arts and self-defense world. But I look on my bookshelves, and I'm looking over at one of my bookshelves now, where all of my knife-fighting books and a bunch of stuff like that is is held. And yeah, there's a lot that's been lost. There's a lot that people are going to forget about one of my plans one of my book plans for something i intend to publish i intend to go through my library and do a write-up of some of these classic knife fighting texts to talk about what these authors had to say and what they might have had in common where they differed stuff like that the hardest part of writing a book like that is knowing what to include and what not to because it would take forever to go through every single book in my library and that library is not inclusive i don't have all of the foundational books of just that one topic area uh it's long been something that interested me i'm definitely a knife guy and i think the topic of knife fighting is sort of symbolic of the era we're talking about there was a time when people genuinely considered themselves to be knife fighters and they they embraced that attitude so like i don't know if you remember this but hawk hawkheim at one point created the congress of american knife fighters and he put out his knife fighting encyclopedia and then a few supplemental books that i have on my shelf over here there was a green one that was the main encyclopedia and then there was a blue one and a tan one one of those is military knife fighting and i can't make out the title on the other one and i probably should have grabbed it before i did this but i don't do a lot of show prep so the congress of american knife fighters even had a knife you could buy that went with it it was like an eagle handled bowie knife type of thing um, that i wish to god i had bought so i could put it on a shelf now for nostalgia's sake 
But, um, you know, gone are the days when people would create things like the Congress of American Knife Fighters. Um, uh, the folks over at Warrior Life, back when they were Modern Combat and Survival, before that they had a thing called the ISCQC, which was the International Society of Close Quarter Combatants, which was an attempt to sort of gather together a lot of reality-based self-defense instructors and people teaching in the industry at that time and sort of collect them in one internet accessible place. Um, and over the years, there's been a lot of other organizations like that as well. Um, but it all stems from the Action Library, and it all came from that mail-order era where you got on the phone after reading a catalog and you had them send you books that you simply could not buy at bookstores. These days, the bookstore itself is sort of a dying breed, sort of a vanishing thing. And it's hard to know what the future of the industry is going to look like because now the single biggest threat to acquiring this type of knowledge is not, in my opinion, a lack of people willing to produce it. There are still people producing that information today. They're different than the sort of classic guys from the 1990s, but they're out there. The problem is big tech censorship finds these topics unacceptable, wishes to relegate these topics to illegality. That's That threatens us, and, and that is going to, if it continues, drive these things underground. Sometimes these things flourish underground that way. Um, sometimes they don't. You know, the, There's the whole myth of 52 blocks, for example. Um, Piper would not have the cachet that it has today if it wasn't associated with sort of a criminal mystique, and so on and so forth. All right, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what point I've made in this exploration of the death of the Action Library, other than to say, one, that yes, it has died, but two, there is hope because it has been replaced by new methods of accessing the same material that are in many ways more interactive and more immediate than they once were. Are there still people producing this type of knowledge? Yes. Are we losing a lot of the classic ones? Unfortunately, also yes. So there's a there's a uh, countdown over all our heads. You know, in that game Lemming, when, Lemmings, when you push the button and you get the number five, four, three, and then when you get down to zero, they explode. Every one of us has an expiration date. Every one of us has that countdown, and we don't get to know what the number is. So if there's somebody whose knowledge you'd like to collect now, do it now while you still can. All right, that's going to do it. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. I have been the aforementioned Phil Elmore. Until next time, pretend I said something cool here. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Visit us online at linktree slash Elmore.